Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is March the 10th, 2023, uh, and here we are. Uh, thank you for joining me, uh, and thank you so much for paying attention to this immigration crisis, border crisis, that is having such an impact across America, not just along the so-called border states. And, and it's really important that we all, <clears throat> pardon me, come to understand the true magnitude of the challenges that we currently face here in the United States. It's truly stunning, at least to me, that our politicians want us to all remain focused on the Mexican border while ignoring so many other areas, in fact, virtually every city across this great nation that has severely impacted and not for the better by the failures of our government to secure the borders, enforce our immigration laws, and go after the narcotics trafficking, the cartels, the threat of terrorism, and everything else that goes with an open border. This isn't about xenophobia. And that's all that we're hearing. If you want secure borders, if you want immigration laws enforced, you must be a bad person, you're a racist and a xenophobe, and on and on. And somehow, an event that took place a week ago today, March 3rd, has finally awakened uh, so many people who've either been asleep at the switch or have been lying through their teeth and trying to cover up the magnitude of the crisis that we're facing. The incident, of course, was the kidnapping of four Americans in Matamoros, a border town in Mexico, right across from Brownsville, Texas, a place I'd been to many times, by the way, I might add. Suddenly, everyone is awakened to the fact that the cartels are in Mexico and killing people. And what's remarkable is that the president of Mexico, who promises a thorough investigation into what is believed this kidnap killing of four Americans, two dead, two injured, brought back to the United States, thankfully they're back here. But he said, just right now, I was watching Fox News, couldn't believe it. president of Mexico says, we do not produce or use fentanyl in Mexico. Fentanyl does not come from Mexico, and America needs to clean out its societal rot or whatever it was that he said. Now, this is the guy that this administration, the Biden administration, says they're going to work with to help us deal with the immigration crisis, the drug crisis, and on and on and on. And the president of Mexico says, fentanyl? What fentanyl? Meanwhile, just today, more fentanyl grabbed, more arrests being made, It's an endless cavalcade. It's a disaster. 
And what we're getting from this administration is less than nothing. But let's be very clear. We didn't get to this point overnight. This has happened, a, this has been a, a work in progress that has been ongoing for quite some time. There was an article in the New York Times going back to 2012. I've been looking for it on my computer. Uh, bear with me. I hope I can find it. But it was all about how Roosevelt Avenue, which is in Queens, New York, um, was the haven for all sorts of vices, prostitution, human trafficking, fake ID being sold. And you had a state senator boasting back then about how the New York City Police Department would not consider immigration crimes in dealing with these crimes involving aliens on Roosevelt Avenue. They even interviewed females from other countries who were forced into prostitution by human traffickers. But this guy turns around and says, the state senator, we're not going to deal with immigration law because we don't want the people to not trust the police. Do you think that criminals are going to trust the police if they don't deal with immigration? No. All this does is turn New York into a sanctuary for human traffickers, illegal aliens, criminals, gangs, terrorists, and the cartels. And a point of fact, I, I want you to realize something, that for all the talk about now the cartels may be coming to the United States, they're actually saying it now, now we've got to worry, look what just happened They're coming, and they're coming. They've been here for decades. You know, if you know anything about my background, I started with the old Immigration and Naturalization Service back in uh, 1971. I hate to admit how long ago it was. In 1988, I became the first INS representative to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And back then... We were dealing with massive quantities of narcotics flowing into the United States from Colombia, from Bolivia, from other parts of the world, from Asia, and from Mexico. But basically, Roosevelt Avenue was controlled by the Colombians. And something interesting happened because President, uh, President Ronald Reagan assigned Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush to deal with the drugs coming in from Colombia. So unlike Kamala Harris, who has done less than nothing, George Herbert Walker Bush, you know, you look at his background, they didn't always agree with his globalist policies. I had issues with him. But, you know, I I look at things objectively. Not everybody is all good or all bad. I just deal with facts. And you look at his background, former head of the CIA. He was in the military. He was a member of Congress. And he understood that action needed to be taken. He was actually a, a war hero. He was shot down flying a fighter plane during the Second World War, was rescued by a submarine. So he called upon the Coast Guard, called upon the Navy to interdict the speedboats loaded with cocaine coming up into southern Florida and and seize the drugs, arrest the people on the boats, and work with the prosecutors in Colombia to go after the Colombian cartels. So the cartels made a decision. They said, you know what, we'll give up some of our profits to the Mexicans, but instead of having all of our boats coming into Florida where we're being stopped, will have the drugs go across the Mexican border. And that way the Mexicans will act as a buffer, a layer of insulation <clears throat> against U.S. law enforcement. That's exactly what happened. And almost overnight, now I was up at DEA in those days, and in fact in 1991 I was promoted to the position of senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. 
So I had desks at the at uh, the FBI, DEA, ATF. I worked with foreign governments, worked with New York City police, New York State police, all sorts of law enforcement agencies here in the United States to use my expertise and my specific authority as an immigration agent to help combat narcotics trafficking in the United States. That was my goal, to be part of the drug task force as a follow-on to the four-year stint that I had spent at DEA Intel, where basically I was in the catbird seat because I had access to every major narcotics investigation DEA was conducting, and I had access to every DEA investigation here in New York City and New York State. So when I'm speaking about these issues and these investigations going back into the 80s, I'm not conjecturing. I didn't call somebody up and say, hey, Charlie, what do you think I should say? I was there. I was helping to make arrests. I was helping to gather the evidence. I was testifying at bail hearings and trials. Uh, I was an integral part of the drug task force. And so here we were in the 80s and 90s dealing with narcotics here in New York City, dealing with the cartels here in New York City. And all that the media keeps telling us to focus on is the southern border, and that's today. If only we could secure the southern border. Even as the Border Patrol, by the way, is sending Border Patrol agents to the northern border because there's a problem along that border also. It's twice as long as the Mexican border. <clears throat> there are big differences. One of the differences is that in Mexico, corruption is endemic. There is an expression in Spanish that translated asks if people want silver or lead. In other words, do you want a bribe or do you want to die? Buy you, you don't take the silver, we will shoot you. This is a level of corruption that makes Mexico the most dangerous country, arguably, or one of the most dangerous countries in the Western Hemisphere. Canada, on the other hand, is more like the United States. It's not a third world country. Its standard of living is very similar to our own, and the situation is far different. But that doesn't mean that that border on the Canadian border, the northern border for the United States, isn't the problem. It is. And that's why I've been making this point ever since I've gone public that America is a country of 50 border states, because any state that lies along the northern or southern borders is a border state. Any state that has access to America's 95,000 miles of coastline is a border state. Any state that has an international airport is a border state. So, so who are we leaving out? Every state is a border state. Now, of course, they're using that expression in the media these days because aliens are being shipped around the country, and they're saying, see that? You can find illegal aliens in New York and Chicago. and <clears throat> Really? Back in 2018 the Pew Research Center and other organizations did a study and found that New York City, believe it or not, had more illegal aliens than any other city in the world, a city in the United States, not the world, but the United States. Let me not overstate the issue. But this is an established fact because many illegal aliens in New York City didn't run the Mexican border but came through international airports and disappeared, came on boats and disappeared into the night when they stowed away and snuck in. Many came through the Canadian border. Uh, so there was many ways of getting here, okay? That's not to say the Mexican border isn't an issue. The Mexican border is a huge issue because we know that the drug cartels are working with Hezbollah throughout Latin America to move drugs and narcotics into the United States. We know that China is sending the chemical precursors for fentanyl to Mexico where the Mexican cartels are taking those precursors 
creating fentanyl and smuggling the fentanyl into the United States, posing you know, huge threats to, to lives and safety and crime, you name it, we're being impacted by all of this. But all we're being told is focus on the Mexican border. Now, what's interesting, don't take my word for it, but on February the 12th, 2019, both ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the Department of Justice issued press releases about the conviction of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, the leader of the Sinaloa cartel. And he was charged and convicted with running a continuing criminal enterprise that also convicted him of other related charges. So let me start out reading this to you. Joaquin, whoops, hang on one moment. My computer just, there we go. Sorry about that. Joaquin Archivaldo Guzman Lora, also known by various aliases, including El Chapo and El Rapido. By the way, something for you to realize, people use fake ID. They use false names. That's why when people are arrested, the first thing you want to do is fingerprint them because they're going to lie about their identities to conceal the fact that they're wanted or that they have criminal histories or whatever. So we're giving driver's licenses, by the way, to illegal aliens who run documents. That means we can't prove who they are. But we'll give them official ID. And the 9-11 Commission, by the way, to which I provided testimony, was crystal clear about this. The 19 hijackers that carried out the terror attacks of 9-11 that killed 3,000 people and have injured more people than that, and in fact, uh, I believe that more than the 3,000 that died on 9-11 subsequently died because of diseases uh, related to the toxins they ingested when the, t- when the towers collapsed. So I don't even know where the death count stands now, 6,000, 7,000, who knows? And that certainly is eclipsed by the more than 100,000 who died last year because of drug poisoning, not just overdoses, but poisoning, people taking drugs that turned out to be laced with fentanyl. Those aren't overdoses. That's poisoning. And, and the president of Mexico says, are you crazy? We don't do that. We, don't, we have nothing to do with fentanyl. Even as people are being arrested today with huge quantities, even as people have been arrested for I don't know how long now with huge quantities as they came across the border from Mexico. The Mexican president says, not us. We didn't do it. So let me just continue reading this press release because I understand something. This has been going on for decades, and it's been going on because our government refused to do anything meaningful about it. It's just that simple. It's that simple. 9-11 happened, and think of all the politicians that stood there banging the podium. Why didn't they connect the dots? Why didn't they warn us? Why didn't we? Okay, the dots have been connected. And I would argue that this country has never been at greater risk for a terror attack than right now. And tomorrow it will get worse, and the next day it will get still worse because we have millions of people in our country who should not be here, and we have no idea as to who they are. But it just took 19 terrorists to carry out the attacks of 9-11 that changed the entire world. 19. And we have, I don't know how many millions of people who came into this country, shouldn't be here, but were welcomed by Alejandra Mayorkas, Kamala Harris, and Joe Biden. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come on down. It's like the price is right. Come on down. And now, by the way, the mayor of New York City wants to provide free college educations to the illegal aliens, and they're calling them asylum seekers because that's the section of law being abused and misused by the Biden administration to justify allowing these people. They have no way of getting asylum. 
Asylum does not mean you live, uh, to use Donald Trump's terms, you don't live in a shithole country. Pardon my language. No, that doesn't mean you get asylum. And, and so many journalists don't get it. If you live in poverty, if there is crime, if you don't have clean water, if you can't find a job, that's not a prerequisite for political asylum, okay? Political asylum is very narrow and very specific. It used to be that we processed, I think, just a couple thousand applications every year, period. Now we're doing millions. We've overloaded and broken the whole system by design by this corrupt administration. Asylum means that because of your race, because of your religion, because of your ethnicity, because of your tribal affiliation, because of your sexual orientation, or because of your political beliefs, you face persecution or worse in your home country, and you can prove it. Period. Race, religion, ethnicity, persecution, that's what we're talking about. All right? Germany was a wealthy country until Weimar wrecked it, but it was still not, you know, an economic disaster. They had economic crisis. You know, you needed a barrel full of money to buy a loaf of bread, whatever. But the whole idea to the Holocaust was that the Jews were being singled out for extermination, okay? That is an example of people that should be granted political asylum. You face death because of your religion, because of your political orientation and so forth. It's not about economics. It's not about, I'd like to come to America because I'm tired of my home country. My brother's in America. I'd like to, no, 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 no. Because of your race, your religion, your ethnicity, sexual orientation, political beliefs, you face persecution. That's all that political asylum means. These people do not qualify. I, I wrote an article a while back, and I said that to refer to people that apply for asylum because they come from poverty is, is, and, and calling them asylum seekers, and we all know they don't qualify, it's kind of like referring to a homeless person who buys a lottery ticket as an aspiring millionaire. Lots of luck, okay? But the mayor of New York said, no, we're going to give free college to people who frankly shouldn't be here. And what enrages me is if you remember the stories of the Holocaust, there was a boat to St. Louis with Jewish refugees on it who were facing extermination by the Nazis who came to America and they were denied entry into the United States. But that was okay. That was okay. And now we're letting people in who don't have a snowball's chance in hell of actually getting asylum, but they are here. And this is what the 9-11 Commission warned about. The people would make fraudulent claims to political asylum. They would get temporary worker status like DACA. They would marry an American. They would do whatever they had to do by lying to get into the country. And once they were here, they could hide in plain sight in the terms of the 9-11 Commission, embed themselves and go about their deadly preparations to carry out an attack. And they warned about this. So the Biden administration took this compassionate program, the asylum program, and perverted it in ways that are off the charts to do what? To break the system so that we can no longer even adjudicate the applications without, with any integrity. There is no way to deal with a human tsunami of millions of aliens who have no identity documents and who have been scattered across this country from border to border and coast to coast. They're here. We don't know where they are, who they are, or what they're up to, but Joe Biden and this administration let them in and shuffled them around the country, so lots of luck when you want to go find them. 
God forbid, if there's a terrorist attack, I'd love to know how they're going to say that nobody connected the dots. Nobody connected the dots. So El Chapo Guzman gets prosecuted. Uh, and this is the subject of a DOJ press release. And so let me continue reading this, but I want you to understand what we're talking about. For the longest time, we have been told, focus all your attention just on the Mexican border. You don't think that the drugs are coming in through other parts of the United States? It used to come in through Miami. I guarantee you, if you seal off the Mexican border, the cartels will find other ways of moving it into the country. It's kind of like listening to a traffic report. If the traffic on the Brooklyn Bridge is stopped because there's a car crash, if I'm in my car and I hear that on the radio, I find a different way to get from Brooklyn to Manhattan. There's more than one way, right? There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to get from Brooklyn to Manhattan. There's more than one way to smuggle drugs and people into the United States, okay? And Joaquin Guzman, um, uh, Joaquin, I'm sorry, El Chapo Guzman was very good at smuggling, corrupting people, crimes of violence, you name it, he did it, and he gained control over New York City. And I would argue that a big part of the reason that he was able to do this and operate successfully because New York is a sanctuary city, which meant that the police would not cooperate with immigration authorities, making it super easy for him to do exactly what he wanted to do. And what is that? Traffic narcotics across the United States and make huge amounts of money. <clears throat> now, understand something. The more money that flows into the cartel's coffers, the more power they have. <clears throat> the power to buy weapons the power to buy politicians, the power to do whatever they want. Narcotics trafficking is not different from other enterprises, except for the fact that it is illegal, it is violent, you know, but, but it's an enterprise if you look at it that way. And any enterprise requires money. Without money, nothing happens. <clears throat> if, if the car companies have no money, they can't build cars. In fact, when the car companies went bankrupt, they went running to Congress, please help us, we need money, because without money we can't build cars, right? Isn't that what happened? Without money, the cartels can't do what they do. But the trafficking in drugs, the proceeds from the narcotics trade, funds what they're doing, okay? Understand that. So we all know exactly how this works. And as more and more Americans are being encouraged to use drugs, and they are, legalizing marijuana, creating open-air drug markets, providing free hypodermic needles, decriminalizing possession of drugs in some municipalities. What message does it send? Oh, drugs is a choice. You like wine or do you like beer, right? You, well, you like drugs? That's great. And in New York, they were even posting signs about how to use illegal dangerous drugs safely. How to use illegal drugs safely. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> so what does this do? Well, it leads to more drugs being used by Americans. It leads to more death, more violence, more crime. It's not just the people who die because they took drugs. It's people who commit violent crime to get the money. It's people who suffer mental disease because they have habitual drug users over time. It has a negative impact on their brains. Uh, I made a point. I was on a program called Cats and Cosby, an ABC News program here in New York, talk show radio in New York, uh, earlier this week. And what's interesting, 
uh, or at least what I said, which I hope they thought was interesting, they seem to, when a drunk driver goes out and runs people down, everyone screams, not about getting car control, but getting control over who's behind the wheel of the vehicles, right? That's the normal response. Oh, my God, there was a drunk driver, and they will almost always start out by telling you just how much uh, his blood alcohol or her blood alcohol level was, right? The person was twice over the limit, three times over the limit. Now, why is that important? It's important because then everyone says we've got to get drunks out from behind the wheel, and we do. When someone uses a firearm to commit a crime, we're told we need gun control. Not criminal control, but gun control. We have driver control when we're dealing with drunk drivers or reckless drivers, but the anti-gun crowd says, oh, no, we've got to control the guns. How about controlling the people wielding the guns? The reason New York used to be the safest big city in America wasn't just the gun law, but the fact that if you were caught with an illegal firearm, you went to jail. It wasn't just about getting the gun off the street. You got the criminal off the street who was wielding the firearm, and that deters people. That is called deterrence through enforcement. The opposite of deterrence through enforcement is encouragement by a lack of enforcement. And what's being encouraged? Crime. Crime. Rob a bank, hit somebody over the head, and we'll turn you loose because you are a victim. You committed the crime because you, the criminal, are actually the victim in this upside-down, inside-out world that's been created by the lunatic left. And full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These aren't left-right issues. These are not left-right issues. Who in their right mind would want to put criminals back out on the street who are likely to commit more violent crimes, attack people, kill people, rape, set fires, Why are you turning them loose? The whole idea to jail is not only to punish people for the crimes they commit, not only to deter people from committing crimes by seeing what happens to those who commit the crimes and get sentenced to prison, but also to protect would-be victims from criminals who can't hurt them if they're sitting in a jail cell. You turn the criminals loose, what stops the criminal from killing and raping and injuring more people? Nothing. The deterrence is gone. I actually had the perverse thought that maybe the whole idea to wearing masks was to encourage crime. You know, when you think about the Wild West, the guy shows up at the bank, he jumps off his horse, and he pulls his bandana up over his face, pulls out a six-shooter, and robs the bank. And I actually joked when we started to wear masks, and if you remember, in the beginning, they didn't even say that the masks had to be of, of surgical quality. You can wrap a cloth around your face. Really? A cloth around my face is going to protect us? Now we don't even believe that the actual surgical masks are are really as useful as they wanted us to believe way back when. But they were actually people, people were actually being told, rather, that you could take any kind of a cloth, a handkerchief, wrap it around your face. And what did that do? It made it more difficult for us to communicate with each other, which I think was part of the goal. Look at the way that the media has been seized by the radical lunatics. I had this unsettling thought just yesterday. I was just talking to my wife, and I said, you know, this might sound nuts. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, I always look at all the possibilities. Maybe the whole idea to masking was to encourage more crime because every other decision being made by the lunatic left has done what? Encouraged crime. 
Stores are closing. Businesses are shutting down and leaving these crime-ridden cities because they can't keep anything on the shelf. You go into a store today, a, a pharmacy, and they treat razor blades like jewelry, right? You have to get a clerk to unlock a showcase so they can give you a pack of razor blades so you can shave. Really? What kind of insane asylum are we living in? So how crazy is it that maybe the whole point to the masking was just another way to encourage more violent crime? People wearing masks know that they couldn't be recorded on cameras, they couldn't be identified, just like the Wild West. Rob that bank, but put on that bandana and drape it across your face before you go into the bank. I don't know. It's just a crazy idea, probably wrong. But I almost believe anything is possible after everything what we, that we've been experiencing. And I was just watching part of the hearing about Twitter and about how the lunatic left is having a meltdown that a couple of liberal journalists, I might add, true liberal journalists, the Democrats aren't liberal, okay, if you believe in the cancel culture, you're not a liberal. Liberals celebrate the First Amendment. I was raised as a liberal. I was raised to believe that everyone's entitled to their opinion and everyone has the right to be heard. We, they have to, the right to be respected. doesn't mean they have the right to be agreed with, but we need to be civil and show respect to each other and have a true, honest debate where everybody is entitled, guaranteed the right to air their ideas. First Amendment, freedom of speech. Unless... You're calling for violence. That's a whole other story. You don't cry fire in a crowded theater when there's no fire. That's the classic example. But the way things are, is it beyond the realm of possibility that one of these nitwits said, hey, if we can get everybody to wear masks, criminals will seize upon the opportunity to be emboldened to commit crime because that's what bail reform has done. So perhaps this is just another element in, in that process. God knows. But going back to this business about Twitter, the Democrats are in white heat over the fact that disclosures have been made about what? About how the news was being manipulated by the government to cover up the Hunter Biden story with his laptop, and the list goes on and on and on. This is a way of concealing the crimes by the ruling elite. So there's no longer any notion of democracy or freedom or constitution <clears throat> this is about total and utter control of the masses by the government <clears throat> to manipulate what we're told. You know, whenever there's a revolution, the revolutionaries always grab control of the radio towers. <clears throat> Pardon me. Can't get rid of this frog in my throat. They grab control of the, of the media, newspapers, radio, television. Why? To control the flow of information. The Ministry of Truth, Propaganda the mushroom treatment, keep the people in the dark and feed them a lot of fertilizer, right? And that's what happened with Twitter and Facebook and all these other media outlets. Manipulate the facts being given to the people so that the American people can be controlled by people who are creating a false narrative. I spoke at an event about a year ago, a couple of gentlemen who I believe were generals in the Air Force or colonels, they came in their civvies, but this was the brass from the United States Air Force. They asked me that I think that the election for Trump had been manipulated in 2020. And I said, I don't know. I really don't know what to believe, to be honest. I try to keep an open mind. But one thing is definite for me. Manipulation about the truth about Hunter Biden, at least in my mind, constituted election tampering. Because how many people said that if they had known about the laptops, <clears throat> 
or the laptop, they wouldn't have voted for Biden. So the idea that the information was manipulated and controlled to achieve a political objective constituted election tampering, political tampering, and it's very dangerous. And that's the slippery slope that we're on. And so I wrote an article that I'm going to discuss after I read to you this press release. I, I've interrupted myself twice now. Um, but, I, but I did it because I really want to hammer home the point that what really has been happening for decades is America has opened up its borders to illegal immigration and to narcotics and to the threat of terrorism, violent crime, and gangs. And that's irrefutable. You know, the statistics are there. The evidence is, is there. And here is this press release issued by DOJ February 12, 2019. So the point that they make is that um, they say that Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, known by various aliases, was convicted today by a federal, grand jury, a federal jury in Brooklyn, New York, of being a principal operator of a continuing criminal enterprise, the Mexican organized crime syndicate known as the Sinaloa Cartel. By the way, the Sinaloa Cartel is believed to be behind the kidnapping murder of those four Americans, right? A charge that includes 26 drug-related violations and one murder conspiracy. Guzman Laura, Laura, name his last name is Guzman Laura, this is El Chapo, Guzman Laura was convicted of all 10 counts in a, of a superseding indictment, including narcotics trafficking, using a firearm in furtherance of his drug crimes, and participating in a money laundering conspiracy. The verdict followed a 12-week trial before U.S. District Judge Brian Kogan. Guzman Laura faces a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment that is sentencing scheduled June 25th. Acting Attorney General Matthew G. Whitaker, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, Assistant Attorney General Brian Bankowitz, and they go on about all these people who were involved, and it involved everybody, DEA, FBI, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, right, and the U.S. Marshal Service. And it goes on and says, as proven at trial, Guzman Laura was a principal leader of the Sinaloa Cartel, a Mexico-based international drug trafficking organization responsible for importing and distributing vast quantities of cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamine, and heroin into the United States. The evidence at trial, including testimony from 14 cooperating witnesses, narcotic seizures totaling over 130,000 kilograms of cocaine and heroin, weapons including AK-47s and a rocket-propelled grenade launcher, ledgers, text messages, videos, photographs, and intercepted recordings detailed the drug trafficking activity of Guzman Laura and his co-conspirators over a 25-year period from January 1989 until December 2014. Guzman Laura was, re was repeatedly referred to by witnesses as one of the leaders of the Sinaloa cartel. Guzman Laura oversaw the smuggling of narcotics, now listen to this carefully, to wholesale distributors in Arizona, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, and elsewhere. The billions of illicit dollars generated from drug sales in the United States were then clandestinely transported back to Mexico. Guzman Laura also used sicarios or hitmen who carried out hundreds of acts of violence in Mexico to enforce the Sinaloa's control of territories and to eliminate those who posed a threat to the Sinaloa cartel. 
In the course of the decades-long drug trafficking conspiracy, the Sinaloa cartel transported tens of thousands of kilograms of narcotics from Central and South America for distribution in the United States. And listen to this. Guzman Lora used various methods to transport the cartel's narcotics into the United States, including submarines, carbon fiber airplanes, trains with secret compartments, and transnational underground tunnels. Multiple witnesses testified about seizures by law enforcement officers of massive amounts of cocaine, heroin, and marijuana linked to the Sinaloa cartel. One of the largest seizures of drugs found to the United States involved over seven tons of cocaine concealed in jalapeno cans. And it goes on. So since 1989, the drugs have been distributed throughout the United States. And now because of this kidnapping... Everyone's jumping up and down and saying, oh, my God, the cartels are coming to the United States. They're trying to infiltrate, trying to infiltrate. Who do you think I was investigating when I was assigned to DEA intelligence and then the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force? It's insanity. It's insanity. And the death count is through the roof. And, you know, I write for Front Page Magazine, and back on November 20th, 2017, Front page published my article, New York City Hub for the Deadly Drug Trade. And the subtitle, Sanctuary Policies Attract Foreign Drug Traffickers, Fugitives, and Terrorists. Let me begin reading my own article to you. The mission of the immigration elements of the Department of Homeland Security is in part to protect America and Americans from aliens who pose a threat to national security and the safety and well-being of those who are in the United States. DHS is also charged with securing our nation's borders, America's first and last line of defense to prevent contraband such as narcotics and illegal weapons from entering the United States. And then I went on and talked about a particular case. And I said it this way. Today my commentary is predicated on news reports that in in August of 2017, the DEA and other law enforcement agencies, including the NYPD, conducted a field operation that resulted in the arrest of two Mexican citizens. Rogelio Alvarado Robles and Blanca Flora Solis, a middle-aged husband and wife from Mexico, and the seizure pursuant to the execution of a search warrant of 213 pounds of narcotics in their apartment, where? In fashionable Kew Gardens, in the fashionable Kew Gardens neighborhood of Queens, New York. Not the Mexican border, Queens, New York, 213 pounds. This is beyond belief. Unbelief. And then I noted that on November 13, 2017, the Washington Post reported on this investigation, Mexican traffickers making New York a hub for lucrative and deadly fentanyl, appropriately filing the report under the category of national security. So you have 213 pounds of narcotics. Much of it was fentanyl, as I recall, in this apartment. Where? In Queens. This is back in 2017. But all we're hearing about is the impact of immigration on the border communities along the Rio Grande, along the southern border. So the impact in New York City is is, is nothing? Seriously? New York was the hub for El Chapo Guzman. That's why he was prosecuted, and among other places, the Eastern District of New York, because New York was turned into his base of operations for the entire East Coast, or his narcotics distribution center. But all we're hearing about is watch the southern border. 
Watch the southern border. And you have a state senator back in 2012 saying, oh, the immigration laws are nonsense. We're not going to do that because we want the illegal aliens to trust the police. If there were no illegal aliens, there would be no human trafficking. There would be no prostitution. There would, no, there would not be a need to provide fake identity documents. And what did the city of New York do to go after the fake identity documents? <laughs> they provided competition by issuing a municipal ID. I kid you not. So I guess the way you put the document vendors out of business is how? You compete with them and you, and you provide a so-called legitimate document issued by the city of New York to do what? Well, to obviously help, help the illegal aliens hide themselves in plain sight, and among them criminals and terrorists. Have you ever heard of anything more insane than that? I, I, I am really serious. So on the one hand, you have this report about all the human suffering and the prostitution, which leads to the spread of disease and suffering. And, and, and then on the other hand, we're not, we're not going to deal with immigration. Oh, no, God forbid. Because immigration, those are terrible laws. And one of the lies that are always told about immigration laws is that immigration violations are like, jaywalking. They're just administrative or civil violations. There's nothing really serious about immigration law violations. How many times have you heard that lie, that BS being propagated by the media, by the politicians? Immigration violations, nothing to see here, folks. Just keep right on walking. This is not a big deal. Not a big deal whatsoever. It's okay. Really? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> First of all, the 9-11, terror, 19, 9-11 hijackers in the aggregate used over 360 false names or variations of false names. Identity documents were considered a big part of the plan by the terrorists to hide in plain sight, to embed themselves. Understand that. And what does New York City do? New York City and other cities like it provide what? Identity documents the people who are unable to prove who the hell they are. And states provide driver's licenses or driver privilege cards to people who can't prove who they are, giving them the appearance of legitimacy that they're not entitled to, generally on false names. Think about that, false names. In fact, if you look at this section of the 9-11 Commission report, uh, this is the staff. I'm sorry. This is the 9/11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, and I've often quoted it. But, but let me read this to you, and it also includes something about documents here. Understand this, and this this is how New York became the hub for El Chapo Guzman. These all were elements that figured into his strategy. Okay, so the um, preface begins this way: It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11. While there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages, it must be made one. I mean, this is lunacy. This is lunacy. And then you go a little bit down, and it says this. The story begins with, quote, a factual overview of the September 11th border story. Border story, okay. 
This introduction summarizes many of the key facts of the hijackers' entry into the United States. In it, we endeavor to dispel the myth that their entry into the United States was, quote, clean and legal. This is the 9-11 Commission staff. These were the federal agents and attorneys who worked for the 9-11 Commission. This report was published by the Government Printing Office. It's an official report, and I'm reading this to you verbatim, okay? We endeavor to dispel the myth that their entry into the United States was clean and legal. It was not. Three hijackers carried passports with indicators of extremism linked to al-Qaeda. Two others carried passports manipulated in a fraudulent manner. It is likely that several more hijackers carried passports with similar fraudulent manipulation. Two hijackers lied on their visa applications, and once in the United States, the hijackers violated the terms of their visas. One overstayed his visa, and all but one obtained some form of state identification. State identification. We know that six of the hijackers used these state-issued identifications to check in for their flights on September 11th. Three of them were fraudulently obtained. Okay? By analyzing information available at the time, we identified numerous entry and embedding tactics associated with these earlier attacks in the United States. And so they, they talk about documents, right? Altered passports. Ramsey Yusuf, the mastermind of the attack. This was the 93 bombing at the Trade Center. And Ahmed Ajaj, who was able to direct aspects of the attack despite being in prison for using an altered passport, traveled under aliases using fraudulent documents. The two of them were found to possess five passports as well as numerous documents supporting their aliases. A Saudi passport showing signs of alteration, an Iraqi passport bought from a Pakistani official, a photo substituted Swedish passport, bank records, education records, and so forth. And then they talk about immigration fraud. And we know that Mayorkas, who runs DHS, has said that they're not going to do anything about immigration fraud. I mean, think about that. Here's the quote. Once terrorists had entered the United States, the next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. Okay? And, and then it goes on. And here's something really interesting. Page 54 of the report under section 3.2 terrorist travel tactics by plot included this excerpt okay although there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports and in so doing they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents on aliases and on government corruption because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid 1990s once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here, primarily by committing repeated or serial immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum, and by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics would remain largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s and up to the 9-11 attack. And it goes on and says this. And this is what no one wanted to talk about, although to his credit, Donald Trump mentioned it at CPAC. It's about ICE and interior enforcement. He's the only one that I know of who mentioned hiring ICE agents. Everyone else wants us to only think about the Border Patrol. The Border Patrol mission ends at the border. Interior enforcement is the keystone to everything, and Donald Trump made that the point, that if elected, he would hire tons of ICE agents, which is absolutely what we need. This, again, from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. They say this. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of immigration, of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Think about what sanctuary cities do further complicating this, right, folks? They didn't say that. I'm adding that about sanctuary cities. And then the report goes on and says, 
it would remain largely unknown. That is to say, the, the significance of a lack of interior enforcement would remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. And then page 61, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups, with their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors, fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, Human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. Page 98. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. And in many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. There is no interior enforcement. We have sanctuary policies by the Biden administration, sanctuary policies by cities and states, it's almost as though they are doing everything they can to guarantee there will be more terrorist attacks in the United States. Okay? And I also point out that in the Osama bin Laden library, uh, bin Laden had in his library, the library that was seized when he was taken out by our special forces, copied the 9-11 Commission report on an application for U.S. citizenship. But what are we doing? And what in the world are we doing? And we know that Hezbollah, working throughout Latin America with human traffickers and drug smugglers, are flooding people from all over the world into the United States. What are we doing? On April 17, 2018, the House Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee conducted a hearing on the state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network. 2018, okay? And one of the people who testified at the hearing was a gentleman by the name of Emmanuel, Dr. Emmanuel Ortolenge. He's with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Two paragraphs. I've read this to you many times in the past. I want to read it to you again as you're listening to this nonsense about what we need to do and have to do. We're going to work with our Mexican partners who lie through their teeth. And maybe they lie because of that fear of, you know, silver or lead. If the president of Mexico goes too strongly against the cartels, what's the likelihood he can survive? Seriously. With the level of corruption throughout the military, throughout law enforcement in Mexico, you know, that old TV show with Johnny Carson, those of you old enough to remember, who do you trust, right? So here's what Dr. Ronald had to say. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American network. Now, you think Hezbollah, you think Middle East. They're in Latin America by the thousands, okay? Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. 
Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurements, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shia's communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. Now listen to this. This toxic crime terror nexus, that is between the traffickers and Hezbollah, is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America. Iran is here, folks, okay? It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens to terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. And the reason that immigration has been involved in all these investigations is because there are two sets of immigration laws, administrative laws and criminal laws. Yes, administratively, you look to deport an alien who's here illegally. That's simple. It's an administrative process. There are certain fines and jail sentences. We almost never invoke those. It's a waste. We basically, if the person committed fraud, we strip them of their lawful status and we deport them. If they came legally and they are convicted of felonies, again, the goal is to strip them of any immigration status they have and, and deport them. That's the administrative side. But there's a criminal side. And the criminal laws are not unlike other criminal statutes. If you commit fraud on an application for an immigration benefit, for a visa, for U.S. citizenship, and there is a clear nexus to terrorism, the penalty is 25 years maximum jail sentence. 25 years max. That's not a misdemeanor. That's not jaywalking 25 years. Reentry after deportation for criminals. I worked with Senator Al D'Amato to create that law. 20 years in jail maximum. Again, not jaywalking, not a misdemeanor, not an administrative offense. Illegal alien with a firearm, 10 years in jail. These are serious crimes, and they can be instrumental to dismantling criminal and terrorist organizations, to dismantling the cartels. If you're here illegally and you were deported and you come back, an immigration agent can put handcuffs on you, and you're looking at up to 20 years in jail. They don't have to prove you had a gun or narcotics, nothing. Present in this country after deportation, coupled with a criminal history, is enough to put you away for 20 years in jail. I'm proud of that law because I worked with Senator Al D'Amato. Walter Connery, the head of investigations in New York City, had been involved with the NYPD, was involved with the Knapp Commission. Also, unbeknownst to me, had reached out to D'Amato. We didn't know of each other's efforts. It was a matter of serendipity. We compared notes one day and were uh, amused, however you want to put it, to find out we were both on the same path, seeking the same goal and achieving the goal. And under the Trump administration, a point of fact, that crime, reentry of an aggravated felon after deportation, became the most frequently prosecuted felony pursued by the Trump administration. It's Title VIII, United States Code, 1326, parenthesis, small b, reentry after deportation by an aggravated felon. These are wonderful laws to protect America and Americans, to protect the immigrant communities, because illegal aliens, criminal aliens, generally tend to live within the ethnic immigrant community that most resembles who they are. And it's not just Latin America. Asian organized crime, the Jamaican drug posses, the Israeli mob, the Italian mob, You name it. Human nature is universal. This isn't about racism. 
This is about human nature. If you make the statement that everybody bleeds red when they're cut, that's a statement of reality because skin color is superficial. Just don't tell it to the lunatic left because they think that skin color should be your destiny. That's called bigotry and racism on a scale that leaves me thunderstruck. That's not what Martin Luther King talked about when he talked about not judging people by the color of their skin. That's all they judge people by. This is madness. They would leave us vulnerable to the worst sociopaths imaginable because it suits their political agenda or their narrative. You know, in one of my congressional hearings, I testified before a bunch of them in the House and said that I said that most people live their lives with the fundamental common sense principle of safety first. If you have children, the biggest concern the authorities have are those kids being kept safe. Does it matter if you bought them a new sports car or if they're children and you spent $200 on a pair of sneakers? They need to be kept in a safe, wholesome environment. But don't talk about wholesome to these nitwits who want to have sex change operations for kids before they hit puberty. The lunatics are truly running the asylum. And if you dare speak out against it, they're going to come for you, which is why they wanted to use the social media the way they did and why they're so worked up that some reporters came forward and said, hey, wait a minute, the federal government has been seeking to manipulate the information being made to the American people. That's against the First Amendment. This is about the creation of the Ministry of Truth right out of the pages of George Orwell. In fact, if you want to know what's going on in America today, read George Orwell, and you will see exactly what the Democrat Party, uh, did I say that? I meant to say Democrat Party is doing. They don't care about the cartage. And I don't know that the Republicans care much either because they wouldn't fund Trump's border wall either, which isn't designed to keep people out of the country. That was another lie. The border wall was not designed to block ports of entry, but just to make certain that all commerce and all people go through a port of entry, no differently from everyone's expected to go through TSA before they get on an airplane. No rational person would get on an airplane if they saw people sneaking past TSA, but we're told that it's okay to live among millions of foreign nationals who have no inherent right to be here and whose backgrounds and identities and potential affiliation with criminal or terrorist organizations are unknown and unknowable, but if you dare complain about that, you're going to be labeled a racist or a xenophobe. Really? Stunning. Years ago, Schumer wanted to pass a law for five, to put a, a person in jail for up to five years if they trespassed on critical infrastructure and national landmarks, but Schumer and his buddies think that when you trespass on America as an illegal alien, that you're entitled to United States citizenship. The hypocrisy is endless, and the consequences are incredibly dangerous. We the people need to have conversations with our elected officials. They need to be told that we're not the fools they've been playing us for. The cartels aren't likely to come here. They are here. They've been here for decades, and they have cost hundreds of thousands of Americans and others their lives inside the borders of our nation. And we've done little to stop them. There is far too much money being made through the drug trade. Drug money is being laundered through banks, Wall Street, real estate, you name it. This is blood money. Make no mistake about it. This is something that's got to stop. And that's the job that we the people must do. And we do it by providing information and facts to our neighbors, not through arguments, but through decent, fact-based, respectful conversations, a celebration of the First Amendment. Please remember, folks, that democracy is not a spectator sport. 
get involved. If you like the program, send the link to my program, the link to my articles at Front Page Magazine, to all of your friends and the folks that you have these discussions with and prove to them that there's nothing wrong or inappropriate about enforcing immigration laws, securing our borders, or protecting our fellow Americans. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week right here. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.